Bibles, I want to ask you to turn back with me to the book of Joel, um, and we'll look at verse number 12, okay? And you should have had the outline that I gave you back on October 24th. It talks about serving the book of Joel, and the theme of this book is what? Y'all remember? Now, now, blessing from God follows obedience to him. That's the theme of the book of Joel, okay? Uh, and the purpose of this book was written what? To warn Judah of God's impending judgment because of its sins and to urge the people to turn back to God, all right? So don't forget that. Whenever you're studying scripture, you want to know what the, the author's original t intent was. Uh, the author's original intent provides the context for the scriptures that we're reading. In order to actually understand the scripture, particularly when they start talking about locusts coming in and wiping out the, uh, all the crop and famine land, if you just start reading it without knowing what was going on, it becomes a little uh, confusing. Uh, so when we understand the context, knowing who was writing, who was he writing to, what was the theme, what was the purpose, it gives us some clarity to be able to understand what God is trying to teach us. Because how many of you know the Bible tells us over in the New Testament that these things that happened to God's chosen people, those things were written down and they were recorded for our admonition and for our instruction. So in other words, what God says is, I'm going to allow you to see how I interface it, how I responded, how I acted with my chosen people. And as a result of that, when you see that, you'll know how I want to interact with you. And he says, I'm going to write, I'm going to allow these things to be written down so that, so that you, the body of Christ, uh, the, the, those who are part of the church can understand God's ways and his will and understand how to live our own lives. So I'm thankful for the example that God gave us in the written word with his people because he wants to interact with us also. Again, they were the chosen nation through which the Savior was birthed and God dealt with them, and he's still going to deal with Israel in a very special way because they are his chosen people. But he allowed those things to be written for us to learn from. Now, again, if God gives us a way to learn some things and we refuse to learn, it's on us. Wouldn't you all agree? If God says, I allowed these things to be written down so that you could learn from their mistakes, I would, I would, I mean, as I tell you all the time, I love all of y'all, but you know what? Uh, I, if you do something and mess up, I'd rather learn from your mess up than go and do the very same thing. Say, for instance, if somebody came through and swindled you out of some money, and I, I'll, I'll feel sorry for you and I'll pray for you, but you know what? I'm not going to go to the same guy who swindled you out of some money, and I know it. I'm not going to go there. So I'm going to learn from your mistake. So God gives us an opportunity to learn from uh, the children of Israel. He said those things were written for our admonition and for our instruction. Amen? So let's take a look at this right quick. Uh, in Joel, let's start our reading, if you will, at verse number 12. Now remember, in, in chapter 1, we discovered there, there was a great locust plague that came through and wiped out all of the crop. Is that correct? Can anybody here tell me what was that locust plague symbolic of? What was his foreshadowing? Anybody? Oh, gosh. Oh, oh there we go. Thank, thank you, Faye. I, I, I'm thankful that somebody remembered. The locust plague was a foreshadowing of 
God's coming day of judgment. Because again, remember, he sent the locust plague and that was a warning sign that something greater was going to come. The Assyrian armies are going to come and wipe you out just like the locust plague wiped out all the crop. Amen. So again, remember the, remember the theme here. He's, he's talking to them and he's sharing with them and he's giving them word. He's trying to encourage them uh, to, to get themselves ready for the coming day of the Lord. Now, remember, we said the day of the Lord, as, as, as laid out in the scripture context, can have several different meanings. Uh, the day of the Lord here in Joel is referencing particularly, uh, first and foremost, the, the coming judgment because of their sin. But it also is, 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 is casting forward toward the future because there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to come back for the church. It's going to come a day when he's going to come back and rule and reign. It's going to come a day when judgment will fall on the earth. There's going to come a day when all men will have to be judged, amen, for their, for their, for their lives and, and whether or not they accepted God or whether or not they rejected God. So we're going to start at verse number 12 of Joel chapter number 2. Joel chapter 2, verse number 12. We begin, uh, before we go there, we, we talked about, number one, we said some key application concepts in Joel that we would do well to take note of. We said, number one, when bad things happen, that's a good time to examine your life and purge out any known sin, okay? Why do y'all think that's, that's a true statement? When bad things happen, it's a good time to examine your life. Why is that so? Anybody? Talk to me real quick. Why is that a good time to examine your life? Okay, it's a warning to you, all right? Gotcha. Okay. Okay. A warning to you that your actions are not obedient to the word. I, I like that. I like that. I can go with that, Brother Jerry. Uh, the, the other thing I would tell you is, is probably most people are hard-headed and stubborn, so most of us won't listen when things are going well. All right? So, so when, when, when something is going wrong, that, and even when something goes wrong, it does not necessarily mean it's going wrong because you did something wrong. It could. In a lot of cases, it does. But, but when things are going bad in our life, we're more apt to listen to God than we are when things are going good. Is that right? A lot of times your children or people who you're in relationship with are more apt to listen to you when things are not where they deem that they ought to be. Okay, so, so examine yourself to see whether or not is this thing coming into my life because God is trying to show me myself or he's trying to teach me something? Is he, let me examine myself and make sure I'm doing the right thing. So, so again, uh, number one, we said when bad things happen, it's a good time to examine your life and purge out any known sin. The locust plague wasn't good for the nation, was it? But so it was a time for them to examine themselves to see what have we done uh, that, that maybe, maybe brought this thing upon us. Every bad thing, let me, let me clarify this, everything that happens bad in our life is not a result of sin in our life. Because the Bible says it rains on the just as well as what? The unjust. So because we live in a fallen world, we get some bad stuff to come our way. Amen? So number two, we said what? Future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. When we know that judgment is coming in the future, it ought to motivate us to to repent right now, okay? So look at verse number 12 says, that is why, I tell you what, let's back up. 
Verse number 11. Start at verse number 11. Joel 2, verse number 11. The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army, and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? Now, again, remember, day of the Lord could mean uh, an imminent judgment, which in this case, for, for God's people here in Judah, it was, because an Assyrian army is going to come and, and wipe them out. But it also can be referring to the future judgment uh, whenever this world wraps up. Okay, so again, all throughout scripture, you see day of the Lord being utilized uh, to, to talk about a time of judgment. And also it can be talking about a time of, of restoration. So, again, uh, the Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? Verse 12. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now. Again, he said, who can possibly survive? That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your heart. Come with fasting, weeping, and what? Mourning. Come with what? Fasting, weeping, and mourning. Next verse says what? Let's go. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. And remember we said on last week that one of the signs of, of, of grief or of extreme sorrow amongst God's people was they would tear their clothes. They would rent their clothes into as a sign of, of extreme sorrow and grief. And what, what, what the prophet is telling me, them is, is don't just tear your clothes on the outside, but have a rent written of your heart. Let your heart become changed because it's easy for people to, to do stuff on the outside. But if internally nothing has changed, then, then the outside stuff won't last very long. Okay. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish you. I shared with you on last week that no parent really wants to punish their child. No parent really wants to bring corporal punishment to their child. But if you have to, you will. Amen? If you have to, you will. No parent really wants to do that, but if they love you, they will. God really doesn't want to bring judgment and punishment to his people, but in order to get them back to him, uh, sometimes he has to allow that. Whom the Lord loves, he does what? Chases. So don't forget that. It's not God's will. God God doesn't take pleasure and joy in in bringing destruction our way or allowing it to come. Sometimes he'll send it himself. Sometimes he'll, he'll allow it to come, but he doesn't get pleasure in that. He wants us to repent and turn around. I know I don't, I, you know, when my children were growing up, I didn't enjoy punishing them or uh, whipping them, but I had to do it when it was time to do it. I had to take something away from them when it was time to, to, to cause them to change their behavior because I loved them enough to know that if, I, if they kept going that way, they're going to mess their own selves up. Are y'all with me? So the text says here, uh, says God, he says he's, he's, he's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry. Not like some of us. Some of y'all are hotheads and you get mad just like that. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Correct? He says he's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not to punish. Next verse. Come on, let's go. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of his, his, this curse. 
Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Verse 15, let's go. Uh, Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce the time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Verse 16 says, gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Now, one of the things that, that just as a special note that to let you know this is a real serious deal. Uh, whenever a, a person was a newlywed, he's talking about the bridegroom and the bride in the chambers. Uh, it, it was it was it was customary in their culture that when a man and woman first got married that for a whole year, uh, that that guy was not eligible to go to war or do anything because he was with his bride. They gave him a whole year just to be by themselves. Just a, a whole year to honeymoon. Now think about this for a second. Some, a whole year to just chill. All right. But now because this is so serious, he goes back and says, gather all the people, the elders, the children, even the babies. And he says, call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Come out of there. <laughs> all right. Now watch this. Watch this. Look, look at this. Next verse is what? Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? Now watch this. Again, God loves his people, but when his people move away from him and start going after other gods, start wallowing in sin, you know the pattern. God would always go out to get them, but part of getting them was, was he had to allow some things to happen in their life because, again, when people get far removed from God, they don't tend to come back unless something forces them back. Some people won't, won't do right unless they are facing some adversity. And so God knows that, so he, 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 he has judgment set to come toward them. So let's get back to our outline. We said future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. Future judgment. Joel, uh, Joel now, as we get into the second chapter here, begins, he, he switched his perspective uh, to the end times day of the Lord. And, and so the locust, the locust invasion, we say, was a, was, a, was a metaphor pointing to the more intensive visitation from the Lord in the end times. He's talking, it, it, it foreshadowed the Assyrian army, but it's also foreshadowing what's going to happen during the end times. Guys, this world as we know it will not always last and it will not always be this way. There's coming a period of time of judgment. So we got to make sure that we are on point and ready to stand during that period of judgment. Okay. Now, um, again, future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. When we know that we're going to face judgment, it ought to cause us to examine ourselves and look at our own lives. Let's go back again real quick to Romans the 14 chapter verse 8 through 10. Romans 14 verse 8 through 10. All right. And then we'll I'll share some things which we're going to try to get you out of here as quick as we can. All right. As quick as the Holy Spirit will allow. <laughs> Romans 14 verse 8. It says if we live it's, it's to honor the Lord and if we die it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die we belong to the Lord. Right. It says Christ died and rose again for this very purpose to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. It says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of 
God will all stand. And I remember we talked about this on last week, and I don't have time to go back over, but we talked about the fact that this was dealing with Jew and Gentile coming together in the church, the new institution of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you had different ones from different backgrounds who brought their different way of doing things into the church, and it caused some schisms there. And it caused some to judge the others. The Jewish believers were judging the Gentile believers because they wouldn't get circumcised. They were judging them because they were eating meat that had been offered unto idols. And vice versa, the, the, the Gentile believers who thought they had liberty were judging the other believers, the Jews, because they, they, they thought it was necessary for them to be circumcised. Are y'all with me tonight? Okay? So we got to make sure we understand that, that we, when it comes to those type things, we shouldn't condemn someone because of their personal conviction. If they believe that women can't wear pants, okay, that's, they, they believe that, but we know you got freedom. But don't let your freedom cause you to judge them as if they're wrong. If that's their conviction, hey, let it be their conviction. Amen? But we know we, you're not going to hell if you wear pants. Can I get, do y'all know that, ladies? All right, I, I think y'all are free, right? Y'all know that. But don't, 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 don't go and condemn someone else who believes that it's wrong for you to wear pants. Amen? All right, so let's get back to it. Uh, if you will, let's go. Uh, let's go to First uh, Corinthians, uh, the ninth chapter, right quick. First Corinthians nine, verse twenty-four through twenty-seven. We're all going to face judgment seat. All, all of us will go to the to, to the judgment seat of Christ. But look at what it says here in First Corinthians nine, and we covered this last week. But let's look at it real quickly. First Corinthians the ninth chapter. The judgment seat that we as Christians go to is going to be called what? Talk to me. What, what's that called? The beam of judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me ask you this. When we face the beam of judgment seat, what's going to be judged? Our works. Will our salvation or whether I be getting to heaven or hell going to be judged? No, that's not going to be judged because that's already been settled. Once we accept Christ, hey, we, we are sealed until the day of redemption. But we all are going to face Judgment based on what we did from the moment we got saved until the time that we die or the time we are raptured up out of here. The text says, verse 24, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. He's saying in this Christian life, let's run to receive a crown. Let's run with intensity and with purpose so that we, when we stand before Jesus, will have our works validated. That they, they are built on a solid foundation. Verse number 25. Let's go. It says what? All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Now, who's talking in this text, y'all? Paul, who is he talking to? The church at Corinth, specifically, but all believers, amen, uh, all over the, all the world. Even he's talking to you and I because the Bible is written to us too, right? So he says... We are, are like athletes who are disciplining ourselves in training. But athletes do it to receive a prize that's going to fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So that means that when I am living as a believer, guys, then I need to live in such a way that, that I'm doing the things that God told me to do so that I can receive a reward in eternity. Look at the next verse, what it says. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Next verse says what? 
I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So we want to live in such a way that we will receive reward when we get to the beam of judgment seat of Christ. Our works and our actions as a believer will be judged. Now, go to the next uh, outline uh, point. We said immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. Immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. God's judgment will come when we get out of line. But if we repent, God, amen, judgment can be stopped at that point in time. Let's go, if you will, back to Joel chapter number two and look at verse number 13 with me right quick. All right, so immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. Joel indicated that it was not too late for his people to avert disaster if only they would repent. Now, again, what does the word repent mean, guys? It means to turn away from that thing that you should not be involved in. Again, many people get it mixed up with being sorry. Sorry, I, so, being sorry is not, is not repentance. Repentance is, uh, uh, the Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. If you truly sorry, sorrowful in a godly way, it will result in you turning around and it will result in me turning around and doing something different than what I've been doing, Okay. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It'll cause you to turn away from that thing that you should not be doing. All right. So let's look at this right quick. It says what? Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your heart instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So again, what, 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 what Joel is emphasizing to the people is, is don't just do something outwardly. Now, again, guys, we have an altar call every Sunday, right? And I encourage everyone, if, if there is a, a, a need to come to the altar. But, but think about this for a second. And again, you may be struggling, trying to get out of something that you shouldn't be involved in. And, and I want to pray for you. But when you come to the altar, have your heart made up, have your mind made up. In other words, you know, when you come to the altar, give it to Jesus, don't just stay there. Don't just come to the altar and leave and go back and get engrossed in doing the same thing you did before you came to the altar to, quote, repent of. That's what he's saying here. He says, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Don't just come and cry at the altar, but then leave out and your heart hasn't changed. God says, I want you to, to, to have an inward transformation rather than just an outward transformation. Can I get a witness? So don't tell your clothing in, in your grief, but tell your heart to say, God is looking for a, a true change on the inside. Now look with me, if you will. Let's go uh, uh, to, to Psalms 34. The unfortunate part about the Israelites is they consistently refuse to listen. Just like people today. You know, sometimes when I, when I as your pastor, I, I, I get the feeling that sometimes people are just listening just to be listening, but they're not really hearing me. In other words, you hear my words, you hear the words that come out of my mouth, but the words that come out of my mouth don't prick your spirit man. When they, if they were to prick your spirit man, it would move you to do something differently. It would cause you to reflect on your life and, and decide that, listen, this is not the way to go. I've got to do it differently. But if you come every Sunday, every Wednesday, and, and, and the word that you hear does not affect your living when you leave here, 
then you're not really hearing me. You, you, you hear me audibly, but to hear in, in the biblical sense is similar to the word hearken means to hear and to do. My, my prayer is that each one of you here would hear and do the word that's coming forth. Psalms 34, look at verse 17 through 18. Psalm 34, verse 17 through 18. Immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. I don't want judgment to come on anybody in here. I certainly don't want it to come on my life and I don't want it to come on your life. I, I, would, I would love for all of us in here to walk in lockstep with God's word. And we have the capacity to do that. We can make up in our mind that whatever the word says, that's what I'm going to do. Even if I don't feel it, I'm still going to do it. Watch the text. It says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. Can you read that with me out loud on purpose? It says what? The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. I need to know that and you need to know that. He hears his people when they call for him help. He what? He rescues them from what? He rescues them from all of their troubles. Next verse, verse 18. Let's read. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I'm going to read it to you from the King James version of the scripture. It says, in verse 18, it says this. Verse 17 says this, the righteous cry and the Lord hear it and deliver them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save it such as of a contrite, of a contrite spirit. Look at the next verse says this in verse 19. Let's read. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many of y'all can say that's true? How many of y'all have had some afflictions in your life? How many of y'all have had some things you went through that was not very pleasant? Some situations that you had to deal with that you would rather have not dealt with. Some people who you've had to deal with who you would have rather not dealt with, right? All that stuff happens in our life because it rains on the just as well as the unjust. But look at what the promise says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivered him out of them all. So as we look back at Joel, we see where, where God, he, he wants his people to repent. It's his desire for them to turn away uh, from what they were doing and begin to listen to him. Amen? So, so, but again, if they won't listen, judgment will come. Go to Psalm 51, verse number 17. Psalm 51, verse number 17. Scripture is clear that God disciplines his children when they fall into sin and refuse to repent. I don't care who it is. It, it, it's me. It could be Sister Adams. It could be Deacon Charles. It could be Sister Doris, Brother Carl, Sister Yvonne, Sister Beverly. It doesn't matter who you are. If we refuse to repent, God will deal with us because we're his children. If you can sin and have no remorse, if you can keep on sinning and, ha- and don't feel bad about it, you may ought to check and see if you're really born again. And if you can sin and there is no, no type of judgment coming from God on your life, maybe you don't belong to him. Because whom the Lord loves, he chases. If you are his child, he will come for you. He will seek to discipline you so you can turn back to him. Look at what Psalm 51 says. This is, this is 
uh, you know, uh, David, uh, after he had, he had he sinned egregiously with Bathsheba, this 51st number son is David pouring out his heart. David is sharing about, you know, what his desire is for God. He, he, he has a heart of repentance going on here. But notice what he says here. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. God is just waiting for us to have a broken spirit. God is just waiting for us to have a repentant heart. Because when we have a broken spirit and a repentant heart, the Lord, the Lord will, will, he will not reject us. You can come to church and look the part and look good. And, and wave holy, lift up holy hands and wave them. But if your heart is not broken, if your heart is not repentant, then God can't deal with you in the right way. Amen. So God will not. The text says you will not reject a broken and a repentant heart. Oh, God. Amen. So immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. Let's go to the next point. Despite any disciplinary measures God engages in with his people, he nevertheless has a blessed future awaiting them. Let's go back to Joel, the second chapter, and let's look at verse number 18 right quick. Joel chapter two, verse number 18. He has a, a, a blessed future awaiting them. Even though God has to deal with his people, even though there are times when he has to bring things on them that's not pleasant in order to get them to turn around, he still has a blessed future for them because he's a covenant keeping God. Aren't you glad he is? Aren't you glad that God doesn't throw us away when we mess up royally? I need to see two people in here who messed up since you've been saved. And aren't you glad that God didn't cut you off then? Now, see, it, it, you know, the, usually the people who, who can appreciate that the most are the ones who've, who've had God deliver them out of some, some devilish stuff. The people who can appreciate this the most are the ones who've had God to rescue them from, from their moral failure, from their deep a deep failure that, that, that could have caused them great pain and heartache and did cause great pain and heartache, but God brought you back to a place of restoration. You can really appreciate what the scripture says. It says, uh, the watch of the text says here, then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. Verse number 19, let's read together. It says, the Lord will reply, look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil. Now remember, what had happened to them? What did the locusts do? The locusts had wiped the crop out. It ate up everything. It, it was a total disaster. Famine in the land. But God is now moving from saying, okay, this famine is a picture of coming judgment. But if you will just repent, here's what I will do. Look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. Verse 20. Come on, let's go. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in front will be driven into the Dead Sea and those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotten bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. God is saying, now listen, you're my people. Yeah, you messed up, but you know what? I will deliver you. Even those armies that came to attack you, I will come and destroy them for you because you're my people. I thank God that he's faithful like that. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. 
And when we will just call out to him and repent, he will be faithful to his word. Now, you can go on down and read the rest of this. We don't go through the rest of it because I got to get to the next part here. The thing we want to realize is that God is a God of restoration. And even when we mess up royally, he loves us enough to where when we repent, he will come for us and bring us back into his presence. I thank God for that. So, again, God promised his people that their time of suffering will be followed by both material and spiritual blessings. Uh, go, go with me, if you will. Uh, uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10. God will not forget his people. He will bring restoration in the end. 1 Peter chapter 5, let's go to verse 10 with me right quick. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. The text says, just read with me, it says what? In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of what? Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will do what? He will restore, he will support and strengthen you and he will place you on what? Firm foundation. Now watch what he says. So after you have suffered a little while. Now again, here's what I discovered in the church here lately is people don't want to suffer through anything. There are times when, when we have to suffer through some things. Uh, we're going through a period where, where maybe it's not the best for us. But when we're going through that period of suffering, we have to realize that God hadn't forgotten about us. If you're in a hard place right now, I need you to know that God has not forgotten about you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows what situation you're dealing with, and he loves you, and he's coming for you because you belong to him. The text says, so after you suffer a little while, he will do what? He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a what? On a what? On a firm foundation. Yes, he will do that. God is a faithful God, and he will strengthen, he will establish you, each one of us, okay? So now, let's go down to the, 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 the fifth point that we got from this book of Joel, because there's a lot that we could share and go down through the different scriptures. But I, I want you to get the overall theme of this book. God is telling his people that I'm sending you a warning. But if you repent I will, and return away from your wicked ways, I will come and restore you and I will bless you materially and I will bless you spiritually. So, again, there will be a future outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the faithful in Judah. Go to Joel 2.28. This is one that we quote all the time. It's over in the book of Acts. But let's read it here and we'll go over to the book of Acts and see what was transpiring there. Joel chapter number 2, verse number 28 says, Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will do what? See vision. Go to the next verse. It says what? In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Now, let's go to the book of Acts right quick. Y'all know that this was uh, quoted by, I think it was Paul over in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Go to Acts chapter number two, and you'll see um, the very same scripture that was, that's quoted uh, in this text. Acts chapter number two. Uh, and look at verse number 14. Now, remember when Jesus had ascended back up into heaven, 
He told his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem until you be what? Endued with power from on high. Because remember, uh, immediately after his crucifixion, the disciples were kind of running scared, right? Because their, their, their leader had been crucified on the cross of Calvary. Their leader, as far as they knew, was, was gone, dead and gone. Now, even though he had told them, uh, you know, if I lay it down, I'm going to pick it back up. You know, if, if, if they destroyed his body, destroyed his temple, he was talking about himself, I'm going to raise it back up in three days. So now if we look at this thing here, the Bible says this. On the, he told them to go wait and endure, wait in, in Jerusalem until you've been endured with power from on high. Once the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were empowered to do the work of ministry. But now watch what it says here. Uh, after the day, when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit was ushered into the earth realm. And then we know on the day of Pentecost, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, when the crowd and the observers and the onlookers heard them speaking in other tongues, they thought that they were drunk. They thought that they were gone crazy. They thought they were out of their mind. But look at what Peter says. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. Next verse. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now for some of y'all who used to drink, maybe some of y'all, any of y'all get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning? If you get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning, something wrong with you. You probably were a, a, an alcoholic if you, if you got drunk at nine. He says, Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Don't, don't, don't even tell me. I don't even want to know if you got drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. Say, thank God for deliverance. Say, say thank God for deliverance for, for those who got drunk early in the morning. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, okay, okay. No. Watch what Peter says. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Watch the text now. Next verse. In the last days, God says, last days, day of the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will do what? Will prophesy. Prophesy means to tell what thus said the Lord. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, will speak forth what thus said the Lord. Your sons and daughters will speak the truth. Your sons and daughters will preach my word. Prophesying does not mean just foretelling about what's going to happen in the future. It's, it's declaring what thus said the Lord. So here, guys, again, and I, I know that a lot of times we learn as, as, as God gives us more revelation. But when I, when I ran across this, and this has been in the Bible ever since I had a Bible, it didn't just get in there. But when I saw this, because, you know, I, I, will, I will tell you that most of us in here probably came up uh, during the, uh, in churches that, that didn't allow women to preach the gospel. Uh, they said women can't preach. All right. How many of y'all grew up in a church that didn't allow women to preach? OK. And again, I'm, I'm, we learn as we grow. But when I when, when I read this, this jumped off the page at me. He says in the last days, in the time that we're living in, the last days began after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the text says, God says, I will pour out, of my, spirit, pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will do what? Prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Next verse. Let's go. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will do what? Men and women alike will do what? Men and women alike will do what? Okay, so men and women alike will declare what thus said the Lord, will speak the word of the Lord to his people. And so what he was was telling them in Acts, this is a fulfillment of what's going to transpire. Because again, you have people from different parts of the globe at that time coming together. And so they heard the word come forth in their language. Are y'all listening to me? So in order for them to hear the word in their own language, they had to have it in their own language. And so men and women were actually sharing and proclaiming the word of God in a language that they didn't even understand. But the people who were hearing it understood it. And so he said, this is fulfillment of that prophet, of the prophecy of Joel, that in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your daughters. Men and women will share the word of God. Okay. So the Holy Spirit has many wonderful ministries to Christian believers. And so let's take a look at those right quick and we're going to let you get on out of here. Okay. It has many wonderful ministries to Christian believers in the outline. We said, number one, he gives us spiritual gifts. Let's go to 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter. Now again, you guys hear me say all the time that each one of us have been endowed with spiritual giftings. And again, I don't have time tonight to go through each one of these, but I, I would dare say that when we do our spiritual gift discovery class again, if you have not taken, I would encourage you to take it. And, and, and then you can, you can, even if you have taken it, refresh yourself, make sure that you're on point with your top two or three spiritual gifts. Because if I, if you and I will, will learn how to walk in our gifting, we're going to be more effective in ministry. There are so many believers who I, I think have a good heart, but they're out of place. So many believers are doing things that they haven't been gifted to do. Now they're helping and, they, and we need help. But if you get in your proper place, if you get in the place where you're gifted, you're going to be much more effective. Okay. So watch what the text says here in 1 Corinthians, the, the 12th chapter, chapter 12. Let's go. Uh, starting at verse number one. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number one. Hurry, hurry. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number one. So Holy Spirit ministry, he, he, he gives us spiritual gifts. It says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Verse 12, verse 2. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. Read that one more time. It says, verse four says what? There are different kinds of spiritual gifts is the source of them all. Okay. The same spirit gives those gifts. Now look at the next verse. Let's go. It says what? There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Verse six, God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. All right. 
Uh, it says a spiritual gift. Now watch this. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can do what? Help each other. Y'all hear me say this all the time. You have something that I need. I have something that you need. Your gifting was given to you to help bless the body. Are you with me? That's why it's so critically important that you discover what that is so you can plug in in the area where you are gifted and you can best serve that way, okay? So don't ever sit on your gift. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you sitting on your gift? Say, neighbor, do you know what your gift is? Okay, all right, all right. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. That's what we learned in the spiritual gift discovery class. It's not given to elevate you. It's not given to build your name up. It's given to help the other members of the body of Christ. Watch what it says here. Come on. So it, uh, it says, to one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Next verse, it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He, allow, he alone decides which gift each person should have. Verse 12, let's go. Uh, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. 13, let's go. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same what? The same spirit. Now look at, look at verse 14. It says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. So stop right there. So what he's saying is he compares the spiritual gifts to the many, the many members of our body. You have legs, arms, head, toes, you know, uh, all different kinds of parts that make up your body. So your, the spiritual gifts that are in here make up the body of Christ. Can I get a witness? All right. So who gives us those gifts, though? The Holy Spirit does. Go to the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians right quick. So those, those gifts I just gave, named in, in the 12th chapter, are known as what we call... Um, Holy Spirit gifts. They're given by the Holy Spirit. They are not just, you know, gifts that, that you have and nobody else can get. As a matter of fact, these gifts, the Bible even says that they, 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 they move and they are used as the Spirit distributes them. In other words, they are not just gifts you can just turn on like a water faucet. They, they, as the Spirit moves, then those gifts come into operation. Uh, you know, uh, Paul even talked about this in, in this 14th chapter where there was some discussion on the part of the Corinthian believers as it relate to tongues in the body and in the open assembly. And there was there was some confusion about that. So Paul in his 14th chapter uh, begins to talk about how tongues in the open assembly should be uh, utilized. Uh, and he says what he says is that I'm just paraphrasing. We look at this 14th chapter. Basically, what he says is that when you do anything in the corporate assembly, it should be done to where the whole body can be edified. In other words, when we do things corporately, it's not just for you to get your groove on. 
It's for the whole body to be edified. And so what was happening in Corinth was you had people assembling together and then you had people popping up, somebody over there popping up, speaking in tongues. Somebody else over here popping up, Leroy popped up and gave a, a word of prophecy. Uh, Tanya popped up and gave a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. Somebody else popped up and did something else. And so, so there was a bunch of confusion in the church with all this stuff going on. Then somebody was trying to preach at the same time. And so what he says is, when we come together corporately, let us do whatever we do corporately, let it be done so that everybody can be edified. Okay? So if, if somebody stands up over here, if Lou stands up and start talking, then Marrera stands up and start talking, then Laura stands up and start talking, and then Danny stands up and start talking, all at the same time, uh, and we're trying to listen to four of them. How many of y'all know we can't do that? So now, that, what, they, what Lou may be saying may be good. It may be some good word that can deliver me, but I can't listen to Lou and everybody else at the same time. So what he says is, when we come together corporately, whatever we do corporately should be done so that everybody could be edified. So that means we got to have some order in the church. That's what he says. In other words, you can't just say, well, the Holy Ghost got a hold of me, Pastor, while you're preaching. And I just had to get that word out because it was in me. Well, it may have been in you, but you were out of order because I was preaching to the whole body and you got up and started prophesying with your deep self. You were out of what? Order. So Paul here in, in the first Corinthians 14 chapter begins to talk about that. But you know what? I'm out of time and I can't finish that. All right. So we'll talk about the, he, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. And then we'll look at these last, these, these, these other uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit that he does. And then we'll close out this, the study of this book. But I want you to realize that that that, that prophecy uh, of Joel uh, was manifested on the day of Pentecost. And Paul specifically quoted from the book of Joel. He said, this is what is transpiring right now. So we'll talk about that on, on next week and go into uh, that, that study of that 14th chapter, then we'll, we'll, we'll go into uh, some of these other areas that the Holy Spirit uh, has uh, uh, a ministry service for us today, okay? So guys, I want, you to, I want you to be encouraged. Number one, remember this, that when we, are, when we belong to God and we get off course, God loves us enough to where he'll come get us. Him come and get us may mean that he has to allow some things to come in our life or there are specific occasions where God will send some stuff in our life to get us to turn our eyes back toward him. And that's what was happening in the book of Joel. He, he sent the locust plague to let them know this is a foreshadowing of what is to come. But if you repent, God will re relent from sending that thing your way. And so in, in, in your life and in my life, I pray to all of us uh, examine ourselves and see where we are uh, in, at, at the particular stage in our life and don't allow anything to keep you away from your God. Amen? Any questions on what we went over?